Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4. Today we're going to be talking about Git with Gemma Annable. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and I just want to give you a quick note before we get into this episode. Because it's the coronavirus and the pandemic and everybody's working from home, our technological situations are a little bit different. And today I ran into my first time with this happening where uh, Skype reset my audio settings uh, when it had to restart to make a a change apply, and I didn't notice it. So even though I checked my audio three times uh, or two times or something, it reset the audio um, when I restarted after I'd done those checks. And so it ended up recording this entire thing, not from my beautiful Shure SM7B, as you can hear right now, but instead through the headset microphones, tinny and small and echoey. Um, So I apologize. The audio on my side is not going to be very good for this one, but the conversation is fantastic. I learned a ton. It was a really enjoyable time. So I hope you'll forgive me for my bad audio and enjoy listening to Gemma. Let's get to the episode. Welcome back to Laravel Podcast Season 4. If you have uh, just tuned back in or if you haven't been listening for a while, a reminder, every single podcast episode of this season, we're going to be talking about a different topic, starting from hopefully the beginning of what a new Laravel programmer would need to be thinking about and learning. And this is sometimes Laravel programmers who are programming other things like JavaScript and sometimes folks who are brand new or maybe old PHP heads. So it's kind of like a little mixture. So today we're going to be talking about Git, the best version control system I've ever experienced in my life. And I think that some of y'all might know Git. Some of y'all might not know Git at all. Some of y'all might be sitting here wishing we were using Mercurial or whatever. Um, But in general, first of all, it's always good to cover the basics. Knowing Git is one of those things that we all absolutely must do in order to do our jobs well. But second of all, it's one of those things where I think we all use just a ton tiny little subset. So I have what I would consider, she's not claimed this about herself, but I would consider her a Git expert, at least in my, in my, in my, pool of people I know. She's one of the most expert level Git users. How about we put it that way? Um, so Gemma Annable, we met at Laracon EU four or five years ago, four years ago, I think. And you gave a fantastic presentation about Git. And I've kind of like connected with you a little bit online since then. And so I just wanted to bring you on to teach us a little bit about Git both in general and then also as it applies to a modern web application framework developer. But before we get into that, can you just kind of say hi and tell us a little bit about you? Yes. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm I'm Gemma Annable. Um, I am a software engineer, mostly PHP and Go. Um, I work for Wonder Proxy, which is a it's a proxy company, and we've got a lot of proxy servers all around the world. We help you with localization testing. It's cool. Um, yeah, that's me. I'm I've been a developer for uh, maybe 12, 15, 20 years about. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so we are going to kind of like start at the very beginning. And remember, I say this at the beginning of every episode, everyone, but the goal is both for this to be useful for somebody who's brand new to it, but also keep some things that are fun and interesting. So even if you're listening to this saying, you know what, I've been using Git for 20 years, I hope you still have something to learn. So, but we're going to start with the simple stuff. So first question always is, if you were going to describe Git to a five-year-old, how would you describe it? All right. So I had a couple of thoughts on this. Okay. The first one was, it's kind of like, if you imagine you're telling, you're telling a story, um, and you're, you're making up the story as you go. If, if you imagine that as like, you're kind of Hansel and Gretel and the story is sort of a forest that you're exploring, Mm -hmm. 
get is the breadcrumbs that you leave behind so that you can find your way back to um, other points in the story. Maybe you left behind and want to explore uh, in a different direction, except no, nothing comes along to eat the breadcrumbs. Um, <laughs> right. So kind of Hansel and Gretel and the breadcrumbs is, is one option for that. And another one is a choose your own adventure story where, cause all right. So I'm dating myself when, when I was a kid, uh, choose your own adventure stories were like, Super, yeah. super popular. Best we checked ever. all of them out of the library. It was great. Um, and I would always, whenever I did one, you always get to the, like a decision point, like a, a a spot where like, oh, I don't know what to choose. I don't know. Well, I don't know. And you put a bookmark yep. in it or you like fold the page corner yeah. down or something so that you can keep reading ahead, <laughs> but you know, you can get back to that decision if you want to yeah. try something else. Yep. That's, that's good. That's brilliant. Wow. That's a really great because you, you and you feel like you're kind of cheating a little bit by doing it, like by putting that yeah. bookmark. You're like, I'm not sure if this is the right decision. And so so Git is kind of cheating and gives us superpowers, basically. Yes. Yes, it does. It I does. love that. OK, so now let's assume um, let's roll it up a little bit and assume that I have been writing PHP for 15 years and I have, you know, uh, index two final, no, really this time dot PHP, you know, along with index two and index 1.7 and index one and index whatever. Could you give me a little bit of an idea? So like, you know, I'm, I'm potentially brighter than a five-year-old, you know, I'm a, I'm a grown human who potentially understands computer science and everything like that. How would you talk to me about what Git is and what it provides to me as a programmer? Again, at the simplest level, but like why, what is Git? to a programmer who doesn't understand version control. Git is is freedom to explore and in your code, like explore your code, explore what you're writing, explore your your creativity. Um try stuff out and collaborate on it and share it with other people and then decide that it's terrible and go back to <laughs> you know a state that was good that yeah. you know was good. And you can you can always you can always get back there. Um, so Git is a tool to help you explore things faster. Like if you're doing, you know, index, index beta dot PHP and index, okay, final dot right. PHP and final two and final three, it starts, it starts to get really unwieldy, um, right around final three dot PHP. I feel yeah. like you're ready. That's around the point when you're like, shoot, there was a thing. I oh, I was trying this thing and a different one, and I don't remember which final this was in. Yep. So now I just have to go look through all the thing, all the files, and see like where this change was. That I, where the heck was that? Git actually tells you. It gives you the path that you trace to get to where you are now, um, and it lets you try other things in completely different directions hmm. and track that too, and then uh, switch between them very very easily and very quickly. Um, this was actually one of the big one of the big things I started um, when I was a when I started programming. I used CVS for a very very short period of time, but then yeah. I really cut my teeth on Subversion. Um, so this was you know late '90s, early 2000s. Um, your Subversion is the new hotness in totally uh, version control. It's going to do what their mission statement was something like we're going to do four things better than CVS or something like that. And it was, it was great, but there were some things about it that were, I found really confusing. Everything was a copy of a file. And mm -hmm. if you wanted to do operations on, on branches, if you wanted to explore in a different direction, you had to like have a whole other copy of all of your files in a different directory. And that was a, that was a air quotes yep. branch and stuff was really slow. And it, it was, 
it was great for the time. It was revolutionary for the time. But the big thing with Git that was so great was like, wow, all of this is so much faster because it's just happening on my computer. It's just happening on my computer. And I can share, we'll get into this, I'm sure later, but I can share it if I want to. But like, it's all happening right, it's all right here. Yeah. And I can just do whatever I want and then get back to it. Like, it's all right. So that was. That was the big thing with with Git when I learned it. Well, and that's really interesting because I think your perspective of some, as someone who's used like Subversion and, and other tools like that is going to be different than someone for whom Git is the exact same word as version control, right? And I think for, for sure. a lot of people who are learning now, when you learn the value of Git, you're also learning the value of version control. Um, so because and I, what I think is really interesting is when I say what's so good about Git, um, your answer was truthful to my question. And I realized that like I had accidentally really intended to ask you what's so good about version control and it's helpful to think that for a lot of us they mean the same thing and Mm -hmm. they're not the same thing and i've used subversion as well and for anybody who doesn't know subversion is essentially hosted on a you know somebody else's server and you're kind of like and like like Gemma said like whereas with git you know you're keeping your files and then each branch is basically understanding the changes that have happened to those core files in subversion you're actually it's actually as if you like, again, in the old world, you duplicated your entire application and renamed it to application two and then application three. It's sort of, you know, so it was version control. But yeah, it was, like, it was like syntactic sugar around that. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it was making that kind of nice. And yeah, yeah it's different so, sort of workflow. <laughs> yeah. So as, as we're talking about the values of Git, note for those of you who maybe are only familiar with Git, which is probably a lot of people, and that's totally fine that we're both going to be talking about sometimes about version control and its values and sometimes about Git specifically. And these days, it's not to say that there aren't people use who use some of those other tools, but the vast majority of contexts people are going to be using Git. So learning Git and learning version control through your experience of learning Git, I would, I would definitely say is a really good start for most people. I agree. And that's actually, that reminds me of this conversation I had on, um, I think it was on Reddit a few years ago, where somebody was, they were just kind of venting about how frustrating it was to use Git. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these merge conflicts are so annoying. And why does Git make this happen? And it was, that was, it was that kind of a, um, that kind of a switch where, the the problems they were having, the things they were frustrated about were uh, a result of working on a team with other people on the same code, yep. not a problem with Git. Git is a, it's a Git is something to help solve those problems. Um, but the problems they were having were actually just, you no, know, this is this is just what it's like to work with people on code. Like that's you're gonna have merge conflicts if you work on the same file. That's the way it goes. Um, so that that was really interesting starting point for that person. It was a really interesting conversation for me to, um, to just kind of see from that perspective. It was, it was good. Get do seem to be frustrations because expect it to be so smart because it is that when we hit that moment where it's not able to do everything, I'm like, well, come on. Like I'm used to you magically reconciling these things and now you can't magically reconcile this thing. Like what, what gives get. And so I think that definitely shows a little bit about like, how effective it is in taking that thinking off of our plates that we're surprised yeah. when we have to do some of that thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. Okay. So if somebody were to not understand, let's, let's presume that our primary target audience not only doesn't know Git, but they also don't know other version control systems, which I think is going to be a broader target audience. What are the most important concepts somebody should understand in order to be, let's say not proficient, but at least useful in Git slash version, using version control as a, as a programmer? Sure. Um, so 
as with all things, context matters here. Um, it's going to depend a lot on the team you're working on. Are you even working on a team? Or are you by yourself? Um, yep. What is what does your team workflow look like? Like, what do they? How do they use it? Um, so there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of hemming and hawing as as far as what's important. Um, yep. I think one of the foundational concepts is just a diff. A diff. Um, so a, a a diff is a way to represent uh, differences between two files. At a, on a line by line basis, it's kind of a it's it's become kind of a standard on like Linux and and now Mac uh, environments for this is this is what it looks like when two text files differ. This is how we're going to represent it, and it's you know pluses and minuses on the left side. If you're a developer, you've probably seen this, um, but that's kind of one of the foundational things because Git is basically a bunch of diffs just huh, strung yeah. together so if you if you can understand uh how a diff works and you totally can um then you can you can imagine git as kind of just stacking a lot of diffs on top of each other i love that um and individual commits is like i'm adding a new diff to all of the other diffs yeah. and you know when you when you check out a different branch okay i'm i'm undoing all of these diffs and then I'm redoing the diffs in this other branch and I'm, yeah. I'm gesturing with my hands, which podcast. <laughs> well, it's funny because those, those gestures are actually really helpful. And I just thought in my head, yeah. Oh man, I wish, I wish we had, did have video on these ones. And you said, that, I love how you said that because it's making me think of the fact that, so first of all, there's a couple of pieces. One of them is let's imagine our index, index one, index two and index three dot PHP. Part of the problem with those is that it's hard with for us, for, there's lots of problems, but one of them is it's hard for us to know what changed from one to the other. And second of all is if you're making changes, not just in PHP files, but very large files, like we were talking about subversion, everything's going to get very slow and very unwieldy very quickly. So imagine that instead of index index one and index two.php, instead had index.php, which is the state it was as n at the beginning, and then index one.diff, index two.diff, index three.diff. Yeah. And the application yep. was smart enough to know anytime I want index.php, I take the base PHP file and then I apply the diffs. And the diff is just the, the lines that change between the two. So you can imagine it's much smaller, it's much faster, and it's so much easier to understand because you're only seeing the thing that changed. So first of all, yeah, thank you for right. that. And no second problem. of all, that took me to two other ideas that interestingly, I think are very prominent today for people who, if they seem very technical, but if you are familiar with either blockchain or uh, event sourcing, you might be familiar with these ideas where basically it's a series of events that happen and you can always get to where you are now by replaying all the things that led up. And this is the same kind of idea. You start with yes. whatever index.php was at the beginning and then you just apply all the diffs until you get to where it is now. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, there, all three of those, Git and blockchain and event sourcing, is all sort of a, it's all, it's all sort of a description of history, and you yeah. can get back to, um, you know, the the state where you are right now is a, a sum of all the history that came before, and you can get back to any spot you were before yeah. in the history by kind of just undoing Undo what yeah. was what was done up to that point. That's amazing. It's so funny because yeah. I was so sure that you were going to say a commit is first and a branch is second and a repo is third. And those things do matter. And we should talk about those. But yes. I really appreciate the, the the way you say you got to have your mind in the right space before you can even start talking about those. So, yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, you're going to if you're learning Git, there there are so many resources online at this point for like basics of Git, you know, you know, yeah. five commands you need to know to use Git like that. You yep. can you can Google that. No problem. And you don't have to be 
a developer to to kind of understand how this how 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 to use those commands to be useful. But if you can kind of wrap your head around what Git is conceptually, it'll make yeah. it a lot easier when you get into problems later. <laughs> Which I love you that. Will. So yeah, so if you if you were at this point and you hear a Git repo or you hit a Git branch or something like that, and it sounds unfamiliar, hit pause and just go look up a tutorial about the basics of, of Git, and it'll teach you about what branches and repos and commits are. Not everything, but just the really quick basics. Because and I'd love that. Like there's so many things out there teaching you. If you can't find something, find anything by Atlassian. All of their teaching uh, around Git, I've really enjoyed. And we'll we'll talk more about teaching resources. I'll ask you for for a list of your favorites, but you know, go do that and then hit on pause. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of these. And and I, so I'm going to do a little bit of shift. Actually, hold on. No, I you only said diff. Is there are there any other kind of really important concepts you think that people should understand to be useful and get? Um, uh, let me think. Okay, so again, coming at it not from the perspective of like what commands are important, but uh, sort of conceptually how it works. I feel like today in particular, when we do collaborative editing on files with people, we're using, you know, we're using Google Docs or we're using um, Hackpad or we're using, I don't know, other collaborative, you know, we're, if we're writing on a, writing a, a blog post in like a, a hosted blog provider right. in some online editor and it's like auto-saving for us, um, Git is... Git lets you do collaboration with other people, but it it's not going to do that unless you tell it. So mm -hmm. the changes you make to your repository on your local system stay local until you tell Git, hey, share this with somebody. Um, and that was like subversion is not set up that way. Subversion, right. you know, you make you make changes. You have to talk to the server to uh, tell the repository that, hey, I made some changes and then it's available to everybody. Yeah. So that was a that was a big shift with Git. Um, and it is kind of different from how we do other collaboration on other sorts of files. So I feel like that's an important thing to understand. Um, and another another thing is this is a little more esoteric, but like understanding the difference between on your local system, the Git repository and your working directory. Okay, it's big. Um, so the the Git repository is kind of the the source for all that history. It's all that diff right. stacked on top of each other. And, and Git knows that, okay, at this point, you know, at two o'clock yesterday, this is what the repository looked like. And at three o'clock, you'd made some commits. So then it looked like this and that's the repository. But your working directory is kind of the, it's like, it's a working copy of what what's in the Git repository. And you can do whatever you want in that working directory. But until you tell Git on your local system that, hey, I'm making a change to the repository now, it's not going to know anything about the changes you made. Um, so, you know, if you make a, a whole bunch of really cool changes and, and you know, write all your unit tests and this is ready to go and you log off for the night and you forget to commit and then your hard drive dies. It's gone. Oh, well, that's really sad for you. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a much more sort of intentional uh editing experience, yeah. <laughs> developing experience where you're, you actually have to say, okay, get, I made a change and I want to tell you about this now and I want yeah. you to save it. Um, that's the, there's a couple layers of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to push through them. I, I, once again, I appreciate that. I'm really glad you're on this podcast because I'm, I, I love the way you think <laughs> about these things. Um, so the first thing I is, about for hours. <laughs> that's why you're here. Um, so the first thing is, 
if we were to continue the event sourcing or the Bitcoin allegories um, or whatever the word would be for that, it's as if it would it be right to say, because um, like so in, in event sourcing, they often talk about a projection. So you've got like a, a history of events that have happened. And if everyone's not familiar in that world, they're often talking about like you imagine like a bank ledger. So your bank account starts with zero dollars. And every single time something happens, either adding money or taking away, that's tracked in this event. And so at any given moment, if you want to know how much money is in your bank account, you basically just apply all the events that happened between zero at the beginning and to now, and then you know how much money you have. But often you don't want to run all of those calculations every time. And so you make like a sort of like a cache of what the current moment is. And that's often a, called a projection or something like it, where it's basically like run through all the things and then store it in some particular form that is the best way for us to understand what the result of applying all the previous events looks like. And so in the bank example, it would probably just be like a bank balance. Is it safe to say that in the Git world, your working directory is basically the projection of the history of your files? As And basically, if you were to run from the beginning and apply every single diff in the branch that you're in until you get to the end, that is basically your working directory until you start making change. And as soon as you start making changes, it's all those plus whatever changes. And you're kind of like building a new diff as you go until you do a new commit. Um, yes. Yeah, so it your your working directory is this is the sum of all of the diffs that came before the commit that you have checked out. Right. So whether that's you know the tip of a you know maybe that's master or maybe that's some like random commit that you just checked out because you wanted to, you're doing something crazy with your bisect and you know yeah. you're having a good time and goodness knows where you are. That's it's the it's the sum of all of the diffs up to the commit that you're in. So like starting with the commit that you've checked out and going all the way back to the first commit in the repo. Yeah. Okay. And so I want to get back to them a little bit later because I think there's a little bit to talk about in terms of what's um, staged or not. Um, but I think we're probably not quite there yet, but just a reminder both of us to try and get there. Okay. So you, I said there's multiple layers. I'm going to take a break for excitement. Remember, you said so many good things and I wanted to, to talk on top of them. So the other, the other layer on layer and layer I noticed there was... Um, the idea of Git as living on your local machine versus living on a server. And I think this uh, is a perfect segue into our next question, um, uh, which is about Git and GitHub and whether Git is centralized or distributed and how do I have my repo on my local machine, but it's really hosted on GitHub, right? And could you like give like a intro level both to maybe like how Git is intended to be and how us primarily using centralized servers like GitHub and GitLab is a little bit of a shift from that. And if there's anything that would be helpful for us to know as we kind of live in that space. Yeah. So this is, this is one of the cool things about Git that I just, I love. Um, in, in the way that Git is set up, setting aside GitHub and GitLab and whatever you're using for your projects, right? Bitbucket, whatever. Um, the way Git is set up, there is, there is no centralized server. There is no centralized server. There right. are lots of different repositories. There are lots of repositories all over. They might be on your computer. They might be on your teammate's computer. They might be on like some sort of corporate, you know, computer that's, I don't know, maybe that's a right. backup. I don't know. They could just be, it could be everywhere. Um, Git doesn't know that, oh, this, this repository, this is the important one. This is the canonical one. He has no idea. Yeah. So Git doesn't know what repositories are, quote, important. Unquote right. to you. Um, so all of the centralization that we have sort of coalesced around because it's convenient using things right. like GitHub and GitLab, that is a choice that we make. It's not a 
uh, restriction of the tool. It's not like the tool right. says you must do it this way. Um, and the reason that's cool is because you can, and I, I did this when I, when I first started using Git, we worked this way. Like we literally had repositories on, on people's machines, like their, their work, their workstations that were also serving, um, that were acting as remote repositories for other team members. Yep. So we were pushing code back and forth directly to our, our teammates yeah. instead of going through a central server. Yep. Um, and that's something that Git is, that's what it's, it's built for. Like that's yeah. really what it's built for. In the old, in the olden days, um, they would, they would mail like sets of commits around as, as email attachments and then apply them in their local repositories. And that yeah. it was, it was really wild. Um, but yeah, so the centralization that we have with GitHub and GitLab um, is convenient because you know a lot of us are distributed a lot of, and it's it's nice to have sort of a canonical. This everybody can use this as sort of the the source for cloning, and we can right. you know I can have it I can have a repository on four machines, and they're all going to point back to that GitHub repo, and that's great. But that is a choice that we have made. It's not a restriction in the tool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very helpful because I think because of how ubiquitous that choice is, I think mm -hmm. it kind of really seems a lot of minds, a lot of folks' minds, almost like the subversion that we we're talking about before, where there's a centralized server and everybody mm -hmm. else just has like dumb clones of it. Um, and in, in some ways, yes, they are clones, but in in the functionality of Git, my local on my machine is no more or less important than the GitHub one, um, yeah. which is I think it's a really helpful. And I and I the same story with me, except a little different. Before things like GitHub came out, I was worried about what happens. Like, yeah, it's great if I have all these commits, but what happens if my uh, laptop hard drive tanks? Like the the, uh, the entire well-groomed history of my repo will have gone down with the rest of my my thing. And yep. so I, I had a server and I put a Git instance on that server. And I was like, oh, it's going to have to be like a super special one. No, it's the exact same Git installation that I had on my local machine. The only difference yep. was I pushed up to it regularly. So it was my backup. And I was like, oh, and so the GitHub came out. And in some ways, GitHub can feel like this really fancy thing. And if you do the similar thing on your own server, you're doing like a dumb version of GitHub. No, GitHub is just doing what I did. Where I had my own yes. server where I installed Git, but with extra tooling. And, you know, I don't have to run a server to use GitHub. So it's cool to think of it more like GitHub is just a convenience layer on top of the ability for me to have as many repos as I want. Yes, that's a great way to put it. It's a convenience layer on top of Git. That's perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yep. Do you think that there's any aspects of those types of services, GitHub, GitHub GitLab, Bitbucket, that um, they add? And I've got one in mind, and I'll just say it, like pull requests. Um, yep. Or do you think that there's... Yeah, nice. I shouldn't have said it. I should have just given you a chance. There, uh, but I want you to talk about no, it. No, is, is there anything that they you think that they add that you're glad they've added? Or do you think there's anything that they either don't enable or... Um, maybe that people using them don't know about that maybe has been harmful to us as really being like proficient Git users. Oh, that's a good question. Um, okay, well let me let me go in order. So I think the the pull request system. Yeah. That they that they built is spectacular. Um, and it opens up collaboration to people who are not developers in a way that yeah. what didn't exist before, as far as I know, like I've got a, um, I work with a project manager and she regularly comments on like GitHub pull requests nice. That's on, awesome. on copy or commenting on whatever, um, because she can, because it's, it's, it's yeah. that, that it's that easy for her. Like she's, 
not a developer, but she can totally use this tool, you know? Yeah. Um, it doesn't, so it doesn't rely on like programming knowledge or deep system administration knowledge or anything right. like that to use. Um, as far as stuff that is taken away, I feel like, so they kind of, Git has a lot of functionality. Git has a lot yeah. of functionality. Yeah. And that's its strength and its weakness, I feel like. Um, mostly because the UI is can be very, very arcane. Yeah. And kind of, there's a lot of memorization involved or just every time you want to do something, you need to read the man page or, or whatever, because you know, the, the order of arguments isn't always the same and it's, yep. it's stuff. isn't always spelled the same. And is it, you know, get as infamous for this. Um, but there is a lot of functionality there. And I do think that in, in GitHub's path to sort of democratizing collaboration on code, they do kind of gloss over some of the cooler things you can do mm-hmm. with Git. Um, and I think, you know, as they, as they keep building GitHub, they keep adding more and more things. Like you can merge a pull request as a rebase now, I think. Right. Yep. Yeah. You can choose which, merge a rebase. Which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that did exist for a long time. Um, but yeah, so I feel like it, it does kind of just smooth out some of the edges and in the process, some of the neat features. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. on the whole, uh, net positive. Yeah. And one of the cool things is a lot of those neat features, and you mentioned Bisec before, but plenty of these other things where, man, when things have gone really south with the Git repo, you know, either we used or learned to, to use some of those really fancy, amazing tools that GitHub doesn't, GitHub doesn't expose, but it doesn't matter. We just pulled the repo down and use those tools on our local machines and then push back up yeah. to GitHub, right? So it's cool that, yep. that it's not as if by choosing to host your stuff in GitHub or GitLab or whatever, you now can't use those tools. It's just not surfaced as quickly. So I didn't expect this to be our next topic of conversation, but I'm just going to go there. What is your opinion about command line versus GUI for Git? Oh, this is so I don't really have an opinion. I am a hardcore command line user. Um, I I have a lot of like little Git aliases to kind of make that easy for me um, and to give me nice visualizations of the the history graph and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I haven't really found a GUI that I am as fast in. And that's probably just because right. I haven't learned, <laughs> like yeah. I haven't in the work to learn the tool, um, yeah. which I have with Manline Git. But there are a lot of people who have put in the work to learn the GUI for, you know, whatever GUI that is, whether it's, what is it on Mac Tower is one. Tower like, and right? GitHub Desktop, yeah. Yeah, GitHub Desktop. Um, there used to be one, I, oh, I don't know if this still exists, called Tortoise Git. <laughs> We'll have to put it in the show notes if it still exists. I know oh, you used Tortoise Git now. It was a, oh, so there was an originally Tortoise SVN. Uh-huh. Yeah, that I know Windows. about. Yeah. This is for Windows. And then there was when Git became, you know, a thing, they created Tortoise Git. And it was basically huh. the same interface, but for Git. Oh, great. okay. That, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've got lots of Windows users in, among your audience. So yes, be... actually. Yeah, that's actually that's oh, still really? a huge... Yeah. So what's what's interesting is that, like, uh, just for information for all of y'all, not just for Gemma, the the folks who tend to be like writing stuff in more prominent in Laravel community are primarily Mac users because that seems to be the case. Mac and Linux users, but the people who are learning, uh, there's a huge, absolutely huge contingent of Windows users to the point where I feel like I need to take the responsibility to go buy buy a Windows machine and get really good at it 
because I get so many requests for, can you rewrite this article for Windows? Can you update this page in your book for Windows or whatever? So yeah, you you would, might be surprised Funny. just how many Windows users we have. So. All right. All right. Well, I'm still I'm still on Windows and, and Linux for development, but Windows the rest of the time. So yeah, I'm in the I'm in that contingent. What was I even saying? Oh, <laughs> uh, about, GUIs. Using, about using GUIs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there I and I work with people who have invested a lot of time in learning the tool that they decided to use and they're really mm-hmm. fast with it and they it's makes them really productive. Yeah. So for those people, you know, awesome. Yeah. Carry on. Continue yeah. to be continue to be cool. You know, yep. use what works for you. Use what works for you, hundred yeah. percent. And um, I would, I would say, you, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I, well, I was going to say, um, I think there is value in um, investigating some of the command line stuff, just because some of the more uh, weird features aren't always surface surfaced in a GUI. Because just like GitHub, a GUI is a convenience yep. layer on top of Git. Um, so there's some value in kind of seeing what's under the hood, but generally speaking, use what makes you productive. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think a really good note there is Gemma's answer for what works for her and mine for me as well are based on the fact that when we got started, you know, it was a different world than it is today. And so I would say, like, if I were starting my friend coding right now, and, and not if, I frequently do, and I get them on a GUI. And, and it's the same thing, like, get productive and get fast because learning a GUI is a lot faster than learning the command line. It's just That's just going to be the way it ends up being. So then I tell them, like, down the road, I think it'd be really good for you to understand what these commands are doing. And some of the best GUIs actually show you a terminal log. And so when you click something in the UI, it actually yeah. shows you what it did. I think that's great. But I would say that like, that if you're a- asking, if you're asking today how to start and someone tells you start in the terminal, they might be well-intentioned because they want to ensure that you learn the, the native stuff, but they might also just be gatekeeping a little bit. So I would definitely encourage you to just go find the best GUI um, for you, at least to start for new folks. So yeah. Yeah. Gemma too. Okay, yeah. Cool. Or I mean, try, try both, try it in the terminal. Sure. sure. Yeah. You Works. What, see yeah. If it clicks for you. You know, your answer is way better. It's not use the GUI. It's use whatever (laughs) works for you. Don't let somebody else tell you what to use. 100%. There's there's absolutely no right answer as far as how you're using Git. I love that. Yeah. Um, No wrong answer. There's a right answer. (laughs) There's no wrong answer. (laughs) Well, no, no, but there's no right answer. Right. Either. Right. Like there's no canonically right right answer. Use It's a conditional answer. It depends. Trademark. Excellent. We got there in the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so we could geek out on that for, forever, but I'm going to move on to our next section. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, we're going to do real quick on a couple common use cases and then move into some common challenges and gotchas. So we've already talked a lot about the primary use people have for, for Git, but I did want to poke in a little bit about the fact that when you described Git earlier, um, you were often talking about exploration. And you weren't talking as much about things that I think people might like more boringly talk about boringly in terms of like backing up your code or, you know, triggering auto deploys or sharing code between people. And obviously Git does those things. But you talked about something that's a little bit more, uh, I think it's less frequently talked about. So when you think about what people use Git for and how they think about Git and how they regard it versus maybe how they could, are there any things that you wish that people were more thinking about Git as a tool for that they maybe don't like take advantage of what it provides them? Um, I think Git is a Git is a fantastic tool. Anytime you're editing text, so that's not just you know developers. That's are you writing a book? Are you writing yeah. an article? Are you writing some sort of essay? 
Um, are you writing an experiment? Are you designing an experiment? Are you writing legislation? Like, yes, it is a, it's just a really good, it's a really good tool to manage the history. Like if you, if you're interested in, uh, seeing where, like how you got to a particular point mm-hmm. with whatever you're writing, if you're interested in, in tracing your steps backwards or in a different direction with what you're writing, Git is a fantastic tool for that. Um, and it doesn't, really cool. it doesn't have to just be code. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wrote my book in ASCII doc in Git because that's what O'Reilly uses. And yeah. I was not prepared for how amazingly helpful it was. And we use branches and I've got a guy who's been helping me research stuff now and he pull requests his modifications against my branch and oh, he pull so requests. Cool. Yeah. He pull requests simpler versions that just says, Hey, edit this here. And so what I do is I just look at the git diff and every single place he put one of those, I go in in my new commit and I replace his, Hey, write something here with my writing. So I can see where he put the notes okay. and then where I, you know, and then I can see all this together in one place and he can, I, he and I can have conversations in the pull request notes in GitLab, And then we eventually merge it into master. And that's like deploying this latest edit to the book. And it's a yeah. fascinating experience, not code at all. And it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no code. Um, the, I actually I actually looked this up because I thought this was such a good question. Um, Washington D.C. actually the canonical version of the Washington D.C. legal code is in Git. Is it really? Because I've heard of people tracking yes. code as like geeks after uh, laws after right. that, but their actual canonical yeah, one is using no, that. this is actually it's legit. It is in Git. Wow, that <laughs> I'll, is give, I'll give you the link. I was amazed. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Git is perfect for that. And it was yeah. so cool. I actually, I was browsing the repo and it was like they they had just instituted something for, am I allowed to talk about the pandemic or is this pandemic? Yeah, no, 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 go, go for it. Um, they had just instituted some sort of, I don't know, something or other 90 days, something, something for the pandemic. And you, I mean, mm-hmm. you could see it in the, there was a commit for it. Yeah. So like, this is the coolest. Why do we not do this with all of our legislation? This is amazing. And I was thinking they could roll back that commit in 90 days, but I guess that's not how it works. But still, it's an interesting idea. Uh, yeah. But they could do like they could do a git revert and then like edit it at the same time and like yeah, that's make true. whatever. Good yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is cool. Um yeah, git yeah. git is in a lot of places and I hadn't thought about the laws, but I, I I've seen that but I didn't think about it. Um that's really fascinating. Um okay. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm gonna jump forward even though I don't want to because I want to make sure we have enough time for the stuff at the end. Um so okay, so the next uh, section for us is common challenges and gotchas. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is what are some times that you personally have gotten tripped up by Git? <laughs> um, so a classic one is like, this is, this is, you know what, this is not embarrassing. I'm choosing not to be embarrassed by this because <laughs> it's, and it's, it's fine. And we're all but I, I, constantly forget like which direction merge happens. <laughs> I do it literally every time. Every Still, time. Wait, okay. Which branch decade. am I supposed to have checked out and then merge the thing into the other thing? I can't wait. Oh. Yep. Every time. And if you, when you start doing weird things with merges, mm-hmm. um, you get into like doing different things with the ours copy and the theirs copy. Yeah. And which one's ours and which one's theirs. I can't keep that straight to save my yep. life. Like I literally have to read the man page every time. Yep. Usually a couple of times to be like, yep. okay, so if ours is this one on the left, then that's on the, okay, wait, is that right? Yeah. Yep. I, I will time. Google an example every time. Cause in the example they'll like use ours is the feature. And I'm like, oh, now I get it literally yes. every time. So yeah, yep. I'm with you. Yep. Do you, yeah, so um, that, so 
uh, we haven't talked about rebase real quick, but the general, I'm going to describe rebase and you're going to tell me the ways I'm wrong. Um, rebase. Okay. Well, so rebase takes the other branch that you're working with and I always get this mixed up too, but it takes, it takes two branches and basically replays the diff. So the commits of one branch on top of the other one. So they sort of end up being interwoven, but they're, they're not interwoven. Right. I can't remember like one merge applies them at the end and rebase applies them at the time that they happen in my branch. Right. You know, I think you can do a better description here. So could could you, okay. That's great. Do you, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. You rebase replay. Let's just like you said, replays the diffs from one branch onto some other starting point, whether that's a branch or some other random commit or whatever. So you're basically, if you think of, this is just, let's just do some pseudo concrete examples. So you've got your master branch and you got your feature branch at some point feature branched off of master, right? So you've kind of got like the, the, uh, the starting point for the feature branch. And that's where, that's where feature branches off. If you want to rebase the feature branch on top of the master branch, you're basically redefining the start point for the branch. Right. Again, I'm gesturing, which is unhelpful. <laughs> um, but it, it's kind of a way to mer- conceptually merge changes from master into the feature branch without actually doing like a separate merge commit. Right. So if we were to merge, so let's say the goal we're doing right now is our feature branch has been running for so long that there's new, there's an, actually this happened in Lambo in a stream last week. I was working mm-hmm. on a feature branch that had been running for so long that it was on an outdated version of Laravel. And so I said, okay. oh man, I really want an updated version of Laravel. And somebody in the stream said, oh yeah, I upgraded on master. So I wanted to pull the changes, the commits that had happened on master into my branch. So I had two options. I could either merge it in or I could rebase it in. So yep. merging it in would have taken all of the updated stuff and then applied a single commit with all the changes to my repo and so, or my branch and my branch would have stayed exactly the same, same history with this new one commit at the end that says merge from master. Um, yes. The benefit of that being we're not tampering with history. The downside of that being we now have this kind of like ugly, you know, basically merge commit. If yes. I were to rebase it, what would have happened was it would have taken, let's say there's 10 commits on master since I branched off my feature. It would have taken those 10 commits and it would have applied them. And this is the thing I, I always mix up a little bit. It would have applied them at the appropriate moment in time in my branch, or would it have taken all of them and then replayed my branches commits after the last one? Closer to the second thing. So okay. you've got your you've got your extra 10 commits in the master branch and you've got yep. your feature, feature branch, which is on an outdated version. Yeah. Rebase. If you're rebasing the feature branch, you are taking the, the commits in the feature branch. Uh-huh. And adding them to the end of the master branch. Right. So the master doesn't actually change at all. Right. The master what tips, thought, yeah. like what master is stays the same. None of those commits are changing at all. Um, the feature branch, you're you're basically duplicating yeah. all of the commits in the feature branch. Um, I wish you had explained this to me after. like five years ago. So it, let me tell <laughs> it again your way and then see if I'm getting it right. So let's say my feature branch has had five commits since I branched. And the master branch has had 10 commits. So what rebasing would be is saying, basically, you imagine those five commits, those are five diffs that are added to a single base commit in master. And when I rebase my feature branch, it's taking those five commits, sort of like severing the cord, ideologically, or you know, metaphorically, that attaches them to that one commit 10 commits ago. And instead, 
moves them forward. So those five commits are now being diffed, applied against the, the head of master. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's awesome. So that actually helps me a lot because I was going to tell you one of the most common ways that Git trips me up is when I'm trying to do a rebase and then it sticks me into this like uh, conflict resolution mode. And so if, mm-hmm. you, if you've never run into this before, you try to do a rebase and most rebases just happen magically. But sometimes it says we have something we can't resolve in applying this one commit. And the problem yep. is I never knew it well enough how to handle resolving the changes that commit without breaking the history and master because I thought they were interweaving. And now what I know is they're not interweaving at all. It's just helping me say, hey, master is what it is. We're now moving the state of your five commits. And those commits are going to have to be a little different in order to not break, basically, when we apply exactly. them here. So I can yes. change whatever the heck I want in that whatever commit. You want. Because all I'm changing is my feature commits, not master. Yes. I have needed this moment for so long. If anybody (laughs) doesn't understand what I just described, hit me up on Twitter and I'll draw a diagram for you. And I'll probably, I can probably actually recreate it because almost every time I rebase this happens, oh, that's magical. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I know y'all turned into loose things. I rebase constantly. I'm a a huge rebaser. I'm a huge fan of rebasing. Okay. Well, so if anybody needs to know more about rebasing, hit Gemma up at G G E M M A L Y N N on no no you're L O S F aren't aren't you? Yes, I'm L O S F on kidding. Twitter. I think there is a Gemma Lynn and it's not me. So yeah, she's like a newspaper reporter or newscaster or something. Oh, yeah, possibly. There's a there's uh, a lot of them. Yeah, it was a really he, popular name in the early '80s. There's all these British women walking around with my name. Interesting. Was there like a yeah. TV show or a movie character? Yes. Oh, it was, was a show. It was called Solo. It was Felicity Kendall. She played. Never heard of it. She played a woman named Gemma. That's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's okay. great. And it's going to go in the show notes as well, everybody. And we all make got to make sure we watch it. Um, but yeah, so E L L O Kendall in our lives. I also have no idea who that is. I'm actually going to go look it up to see if I know who she is. Felicity Kendall. Um, but yeah, E L L O at E L L O T H E T H. Right. Yes. Yep. That's okay. me. Let me see if Felicity Kendall is an actor in anything I have ever seen before. She's in the good. Oh, these are, you can tell how old the movie is by the, the movie cover. Those are definitely 60s, 60s and 70s movie covers. Yes. So yeah, her so late, so she's doing acting right now. I saw her on the stage in London really? a couple of years ago and she was, she was effervescent. She was just unbelievable. Wow, she was that so is, good. That is the word of the day. Uh, oh, did, did you get a chance to meet her afterwards and say I'm named after your character? I did not. Oh, okay. I, I think I had the opportunity to like try to get in line and I was just like, no, that's silly. Demo, go home. And it was like, what's next wrong time with you? you should do it. Yeah. Next time. Do it. Line. What's the matter with you, Demo? Oh my gosh. Cause that would be a story you remember for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, when I met my namesake ish. All right. Um, yeah. so, so you ex- you explained one of your definitely not embarrassing common things. I explained one of mine that I have been doing wrong up until this moment. So everybody, you know, if there's any shame, I got it. What are some other common challenges you see people run into as they're learning and using Git? Um, well, a really big one, a really big and classic one that's all over Stack Overflow is, oh, shoot, I made a mistake. Right. How do I undo this? Um, and there's no, the difficulty with that is that there's not, there are a lot of different answers. Yeah. to that question like solving that problem there are a lot of different ways to solve that problem so it always and it always turns into like okay well tell me tell me your life story and then we yeah. can <laughs> figure out how to let's how go to back a few dips to figure this out exactly exactly um so yeah so that that's a really big one um 
another one is like, it's, so one of the other fundamental, I should have said this before, one of the, one of the other foundational concepts with Git is a, a, a commit is immutable. A, a commit mm-hmm. doesn't change ever. And I'm going to put a small asterisk there because you're going to have some listeners who know a lot about Git internals and they're going to be like, no, 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 you can totally change a Git commit. Yes, fine. Normal people. <laughs> it's immutable for most of us. Yes, it's immutable for most of us. And unless you start, you know, literally going into the .git directory and messing around right. with the actual files themselves. We're not Don't doing do that. that. Um, yeah. So when, so, and that's, and that frees you up a lot. Like that's really cool. And that's, that's part of why you can always get back to where you were in Git. Um, but it's also not immediately obvious, mm-hmm. and especially when you have commands like git commit dash dash amend. Right. Which makes it sound like you're changing something. Yeah. Change the existing commit and, and fix that typo yeah. in the commit message. Exactly. Yeah. So what oh, really happens? So, oh, go ahead. Tell wait, your story. So well, no. So so what's really happening there is Git is duplicating that commit for you with the fixed commit message. But if yep. you had already pushed that commit, <laughs> yep. you push the original and then you changed you quote, changed it, unquote, which was really creating a new commit. And now when you try to push that again, Git's going to be like, what are you doing? You already gave me this history. I don't know what you want me to do with this. And for a while, I don't know if this is still the case, but for a while it would, it would try to give you helpful advice and be like, there's, I can't, I can't push this because there's already stuff up there. Why don't you do a Git pull and and fix that? Yeah. I don't think it does that now, but I hope, I hope it doesn't. Because that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And in so this case, right. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. it's telling you to pull. So you do a pull and now you've got like duplicate commits. Now you've got two commits yeah. that are the yeah. same in, in your branch. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, so I think that that does trip people up. Just the fact that commits are immutable and it's not always immediately obvious yeah. when you're not actually changing something. You're making a new thing that looks a lot like the old thing. Yeah. For example, the rebates we're talking about, I said you're you're, yes. you're you're ideologically or whatever, metaphorically chopping those five commits off and applying, but you're actually duplicating those five commits and taking the duplicates yeah. and putting them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's let's go there for a little bit, because um, force push and all that kind of stuff, I think there's a good conversation to be had with that. So there are two primary circumstances where I see people at odds with the, each other in terms of how to treat certain things like um, commit messages, squashing, um, force pushes, and whether you're allowed to edit your commits after you push them up to your central repo. So I think let's start with, I am the only person developing my project and there's no auto deploys to a server. Is there any rules whatsoever about not doing duplication or is it like, hey, you know what? Like my local machine is the duplicate or is is the primary. So if I want to force overwrite GitHub all day long, it's no big deal, right? That's what I do, honestly. Yeah. If I if I if it's just me and this stuff's not getting auto deployed anywhere and nobody else is like collaborating on this, yep. I will force push I will force push master for days. Like yep. so can you tell us, can you for those of us uninitiated, what is force push? <laughs> so force push. All right. So we talked about how, you know, Git is Git is on your is local and that's really cool. And you it's not it doesn't know anything about uh, other servers, other other repositories, copies of your repository, unless you tell it. 
push is how you is one of the ways you tell it, Hey, copy my stuff to this other remote repository that's right. on a different machine someplace, probably GitHub, but maybe it's your teammates workstation. Who knows? Right. Um, Git has some built in logic, business logic that when you do a push to another, to another repository, the repository that's receiving that push does some checks on what you're sending it. And if the history doesn't make sense, it'll be like, no, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. Right. So for example, if you, let's say you're, let's just say you're working on GitHub um, and your teammate uh, did a bunch of commits to master and pushed them up and last night and you get in the morning and you don't pull it down because you, you, know, you haven't had your coffee yet. And that's really sad right. for you. Um, so you just start, you just start working away and you're committing to master and you're committing to master and then you go to push it. The remote repository is going to be like, no, 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 no. I already have. Okay. I can see where this diverged. I can see that you guys have similar history, but like I have all these other commits from your teammate. Right. And I, so I can't take your, your commits right now. Cause I already have these other ones. You need to resolve this. Um, right. and the, the resolution there is to, you know, pull the, pull the new commits down into your repository, merge or rebase your stuff and then push that back up. Um, and that kind of yeah. makes the history smooth. Um, so a force push <laughs> is, it's literally what the command is on the command line. So it's like git push dash dash force, force. Yeah. or dash F if you're lazy. Um, force push would say if you, if you had pushed with the, with that force option, git would have been like, ah, this is a, you're, this is a force push. Okay. So I am going to discard your teammates work and I'm just going to take your commits and your teammates commits are now gone. Well, quote, gone, unquote, technically right. you can still get back to them. Um, but your, your teammates commits are gone. Your commits are now master. Yep. Yeah. Which is probably not what anybody intended. Right. And I mean, sometimes it, and this is where you get into a lot of like team process dynamics right. that kind of exist over on top of the technical considerations. Um, there are a lot of people have rules like you don't ever force push master. Mm-hmm. If you're working on a feature branch, you can force push that. That's fine. Go for it. Right. Um, and a lot of that'll be like on, well, like my, my team at, at wonder proxy where it's a very small team. It's usually just two at the most three people working on the same code base at a given time. Um, so usually we're all working on different things and we may all have feature branches yep. where, you know, so this is a branch that's just dedicated to changes for a particular thing that we're working on. Um, usually it's just one of us working at a time and we'll totally force push that rebase, force push, rebase, force push all the time. Yep. Um, and that's, that's pretty normal and pretty easy as far as our workflow, because we're not like, overriding other people's stuff. Yep. It gets trickier when, you know, you've got multiple people working on the same code. Yeah. Uh, the same, the same, the same feature. branch or whatever. The same yeah. branch. Exactly. Yep. And that's where you really just, you need to communicate because sometimes, you know what, sometimes you do, you are going to want to force push something. Sometimes you've got a really embarrassing typo and you really don't want it in that commit message. Like yeah. it's going to happen. And you just, you just got to tell people you got to be like, I'm force pushing this up, get your, get your stuff down and then you can rebase on top of it. Sorry. Just give them a heads so, up. 
So if, if my, if my teammate and I were working in the same branch and they had to force push and I say, okay, I've got all my stuff saved. What does the process look like of replacing my local? Like what's force pull on a branch? So you can do just a regular pull and Git will automatically merge for you. Really? So it'll, I thought it would. Yes. It'll do like huh. a, no, it'll, it'll do, it'll give you a little merge commit. Um, and that's how, like with the commit amending, that's how you end up with like two commits that are mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. Because Git will automatically uh, do that. That's actually what pull, pull is a combination of um, fetch. Fetch, yeah. So, yeah, fetch is just like kind of updating the, the metadata, right? Basically. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to yeah. say. Was like, yeah. So, you're basically updating the metadata of like, okay, here's here's what the remote looks like. Here's what this, this remote repository looks like right now. Um, so, pull is a fetch and then a merge. And yeah. sometimes, most of the time, that that merge is a fast forward merge. Mm-hmm. So there's not actually a merge commit. You're just kind of advancing the branch pointer. And I may have that may be a little. Oh, so if I'm <laughs> following the GitHub command line instructions, and it says yeah. follow these instructions to check out this branch to your local, because if you're if you're doing a, if anyone doesn't know if you're doing a pull request reviewing a pull request on GitHub, it says you can either click the merge button or pull down this work using GitHub desktop or pull down this work using your command line. If you do command line, it gives you instructions on how to pull the work locally, make whatever changes you want, and then merge the, the work into um, into your master. And one of the things it says, git merge dash dash no dash FF, which I know means no fast forward. But yep. what's the practical reason why it's saying no fast forward? What, what does that mean in that, that line of code? So you do you do a, a dash dash no ff you do a no fast forward merge when you definitely want the merge commit. Okay. Um, and I actually do this a lot. So my my most common workflow with Git is I'll have a feature branch, I'll be rebasing that feature branch on top of master on a very regular basis. Yeah. And then when I'm ready to deploy, well mer- when I'm ready to merge to match master, which deploys. Um, I will do a no fast forward merge so that I get a merge commit that has mm-hmm. that kind of gives me my feature branch on one side and then just a straight line from the merge commit to the previous tip of master on the okay. other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really obvious that like, oh, hey, there was a branch here. Yeah, that makes sense. This, this is the this is the work for a particular feature. And then here's the merge where, you know, we deployed. And right. we keep going from there. Um, the other option is to do a regular, well, default um, fast forward merge, which is just Git looks at it. And when you've got, when you've got, when you're merging two branches and like the, so we'll go, we'll go back to the master and the future branch. If you've rebased your future branch on top of master, mm-hmm. you're thinking of it as a branch, but like it's a straight line from your feature all the way down to master and beyond. Right. Like there's no, there's no other merges in there. Um, right. So a fast forward merge just says, Oh, we don't actually have to merge anything. There's no, um, there's no diverging commits on master. So we're just going to move the, we're just going to say that your feature branch is now master. And that's, and then interesting. We're done. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So and I, 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 there's so many forks I could go for from here, uh, but I, there's one I want to clarify. When you say you rebased your feature branch on top of master, what that often makes me think in my mind is we're making changes to master. So just a clarification for everybody. If someone says rebase your feature branch on top of master, 
the changes are being made to your feature branch, even though it sounds the opposite, just because of how the operation is happening. Yes, exactly. Master okay. is not changing. You think of think of master as master is like a. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, so the first analogy that came to mind is pretty silly, but think of master as like a tree that only has a couple of like actual branches, like an actual uh-huh. tree with actual like little skinny branches. This is like a six year old, you know, I don't know, oak or something, and it's, it doesn't have right. very many branches. And you you literally like chop off a branch. And then glue it to literally the top of the tree. Right. So the and tree. So you put it on top of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yes. The tree didn't change you, but you and you moved it, and so you changed the state of that branch. You didn't change the state of the tree, and so even though it's the branch that's changing, the the way to describe it is we put that branch on top of the tree. Yes. Okay, I like it. Yeah, and part of how I think of this, like, I feel like everybody has a different epiphany with Git. At some point, if you haven't had an epiphany with Git, you'll have one eventually. Trust me. Yeah, it um, might happen during this podcast because I think I may have had at least oh, one already. So <laughs> the explanations are just getting weirder and weirder at this point. Um, but my big epiphany with Git was, oh my goodness, it's a graph. Oh my goodness, huh. it's a. This is a graph. There's there's circles connected by lines. And the circles are the commits and the lines are like how, like the knowledge of the previous commit. Mm-hmm. It's a graph. So that has colored everything about how I interact with Git. Yeah. Including, so you studied computer science then, I assume. Um, I mean, I don't, I haven't taken a computer science course. I have a software okay. engineering degree. Okay, got um, it. Uh, but a graduate degree. So, you know the actual practical skills were left (laughs) to the plebs and we did things like, you know, project management and cost estimation and metrics. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. You said including what? No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, But like, so, so when I say things like I I rebase the branch on top of master, like I'm literally envisioning in my head Mm -hmm. uh, branches on a graph and one of them like moving. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To a different spot. Um, And so, yeah, that, the the graph thought pattern just infects everything and it infects how I think about Git and how I explain Git, which doesn't always work for people who don't think about Git that way. <laughs> so or or when you when you um are on a podcast and you can't use your hands to to because I'm I'm getting the show of all the, the oh hand gosh. movements and everything and y'all are missing. Like, yes, it's happening. It's <laughs> no, it's happening. totally fine. I, I will actually link to because there's a few people who've actually kind of like shown graphics of Git as a graph. So I'm gonna try and throw yeah, one of yeah, those yeah. in the show notes. But that leads me to one more thing. And then I think I'm going to have to stop branching and go back to the actual plan conversation. But um, one of the things I will often see in diagrams is arrows that are pointing the opposite way of what you expect. So could you explain? Yeah. So could you explain to somebody why people do that? Yes. So they're pointing in the direction of uh, this commit knows about. Right. The thing it's pointing to. So it's kind of pointing, it's, it'll be pointing backwards in time because yeah. the commit, that, like the commit that you have checked out right now knows about the previous commit. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't know anything about the next commit. It knows nothing yeah. about the next commit. It only knows about the previous commit. So yeah, that's why those arrows point backwards and, and you know, I also confusing. A mental model that helped me, like I, uh, an epiphany I had at the beginning of this is that, is it, would it be safe to say that it's also those errors, arrows are the direction that the diffs are being applied? Like each commit is a diff on added, like applied to a previous commit, right? So if you imagine yeah. those as like diff arrows 
And like every time you apply a diff to a file, it's basically one of those arrows being enacted, right? Because like the most recent commit is a diff on the, the commit before it. Yeah. Yeah. So like you could say the, this is like, oh my goodness, I'm continuing to gesticulate. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So the commit you're on is a diff applied to the previous commit. So yeah, if you think of the line with the arrow as this is the, this is the diff that I'm applying myself to. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so if you imagine that like if, if arrows imply movement, then if you were to actually allow all of the, the circles that you imagine as being like commits to actually follow the movement of their things, eventually you just get a pile of those commits all on top of each other. If you mm -hmm. squash that pile, then it is the resolution of the initial state with all of the diffs applied at the end, you end up getting you basically your working copy. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so many more things to geek about, but I, um, I need to get to the, the, um, the remainder of this cause we're going long. So, uh, <laughs> remaining questions are going to be, are there any tips or tricks or superpowers? Is there anything else you want to talk about? Where do we learn? And then my personal fun moment, which I have been hiding from you this whole time. So you don't know what it is, uh, tips, tricks, and superpowers. You had mentioned a few things that you think can be really helpful at times that maybe don't necessarily get exposed all the time. Are there any tools or features to get that you just really wish that people like maybe to go like 201, you know, next level they get that they really should learn about? Yeah, there's a couple. Okay. So right. if you, if you are using command line, get alias, um, if you mm -hmm. are familiar with the command line, uh, in Mac or, or Linux, you'll, you'll already be familiar with this possibly. Um, you can, you can kind of give yourself shortcuts. So that can be as simple as, uh, making CO mean checkout. Right. It can also do really cool things. Like you can actually run like little bash functions, hmm. little, little shell functions inside an alias. And that can do things that can, I mean, the, Possibilities are limitless at that, at that point. Right. Um, so you can figure out what was the merge base for this between these two branches right. or like, I want to, I want to not only fetch and merge, I also want to update these other things at these other right. branch pointers at the same time. Like you can really go nuts with this. Um, yeah. So alias is a big one. Bisect I mentioned once, and that's like a whole other podcast, it is. but it's magical though. It is magical. So yeah. If you don't know what bisect is, go look it up because it is yeah. so, so cool. If you're trying to find where where something broke, like where a bug started, yeah. it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Yeah. If you if you're just like, I don't none of this code makes sense. I don't know where this happened. Bisect will help you. Um another one that's a little more recent is uh patch mode is available in a whole bunch of commands now that it wasn't I don't always even know available. That is in. At all. Okay, so this is cool. Um Checkout, add, and commit, and I feel like there's more. I think there's more, but we'll we'll talk about those. They all have a mode where it can be interactive. Okay. So if you're committing a file, you can add a dash p. Again, mm -hmm. this is command yeah. line, but I'm sure this is available in GUIs as well. Um, you can add a dash p, and then it'll walk you through every single yeah. like discrete diff that you want to add and you can decide, yes, add this. No, don't add this. Um, I want to change this like on the fly as you're, yeah. as you're doing the command. And yeah. that is, that's fantastic. If you care, <laughs> if you um, care about how clean your history yeah. is, because it lets you very easily sort of split up 
a bunch of changes that you've made in your working copy and and make them a nice logical sequence of commits. I've um, heard of that as dash P. I never knew that that was what it stood for. And just yeah. for those who are not familiar, so if you've ever seen me stream or anything like that, on GitHub Desktop, it allows you to look at all the changes that you have staged and uncheck or check certain pieces of the file so that you can say, wow, I did a whole bunch of work and I really should separate them out into different commits. That's GitHub's GUI basically giving you the ability to use patch mode, but you can do it on the command line as well using dash P. Yeah, Brilliant. I love very it. cool. Um, another one is, I've only got a couple more of these. Yeah, um, no, go ahead. One is dash V for commit. And this, again, okay. if you're using your GUI, this is already part of your workflow. Um, but if you're in command line Git, dash V will like load the entire diff underneath the commit message when you're committing. Really? So you can kind of, yeah, so you can like scroll through it just to do a quick sanity check as you're doing the commit, which is really nice. Um, That's brilliant. Is it, it does that yeah. in Vim too? Yeah. Oh my God. I got to go. Yeah. I'll try this if you're, try this if you're in Vim, it'll syntax highlight it for you. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. It's, I, Dash it's great. I'm sold. Yeah. And then um, another one, another one that I use often is the dash dash abort. Yes. For merging and rebasing. <laughs> rebasing, yeah. That's yep. a familiar one. <laughs> yes. If you end up in like some sort of a, a, a recursive loop of hell merging and rebasing you can just do merge abort and you'll go back to wherever you were before and you can start over and i, I do that a lot yeah i wish i wasn't so I familiar have. with that <laughs> I know, right? yeah huh. yeah um i think those are the those are the oh there there's one okay there's one for the real command line geeks mm -hmm. you can again if you're using a gui <laughs> this is probably already available to you easily um but you can you can grep diffs hmm. you can grep the the commits for um changes that happened inside that commit okay with git log dash capital g okay um you can give you can give that a pattern of regex mm -hmm. or whatever um and that'll find like any commits that that pattern wow. changed in yeah so that's also really handy if you're trying to figure out when when on earth did I mess with this function? Yeah. Or when did this when I, did this typo get introduced? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I've I've used it for all the time. Like what huh. how did when did this, how long has this been broken? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, a year and a half. Awesome. Yeah, That's wow, great. great. Awesome. Yeah. I guess I yeah. still got a job, but I lucked out it. So yeah. Yeah, dodge a bullet, dodge a bullet, fix it. It's fine. Nobody saw nothing. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um all right, I want to do the, the the 20 second version of bisect for anybody. If you've ever been asked to guess a number out of 100 and your way of doing it was by starting at 50 and they have to, you know, if they have to, you have to guess a number and they have to tell you if it's higher or lower. If you started in 50 and then they said higher and then you started at 75 and they said lower, that's basically the same thing that bisect does for you. It's a little smarter, um, but it basically allows you, it walks you through this process of, hey, is the, is the bug here? No, all right. Is the bug here? No, all right. And it, it, it's a smarter way of allowing you to step through that process. So as long as you can, easily tell whether that bug is there at any given moment get bisect walks you through the process of finding the point where it it appeared or disappeared so I, i'm so glad you mentioned that because it's brilliant it's a it's a great feature i love it um i just almost showed you the secret okay is there anything else you want to talk about on this topic about um, git in general no Okay. No, we, we talked about rebase. I did want to make sure we covered rebasing, but I feel Good. like we did cover rebasing. The biggest thing about rebasing is don't be don't be afraid of it. Don't be intimidated by it. Like yeah. 
first of all, yeah, it can be, it can totally be scary and intimidating hundred percent, but like it's get, you can always get back to where you were. You could always yeah. get back to where you were. So go to town, like yeah. break things, end up yeah. with two, two weird lines of, of duplicate commits that suddenly merged. And now you have like this, this bizarre history. Go nuts. Like I love that. You can, you can always get back to a known good state with Git um, using the ref log. So my literal next question was, can you tell us what the ref log is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the ref log is kind of, if if Git is a history of like how the files changed, the ref log is kind of a history of how you move through the repository. Mm-hmm. So every time you check anything out, every time you merge, every time you rebase, um, yeah, any... <clears throat> any like get action you're doing where you're you're moving around inside the that graph it's going to be recorded in the ref log yeah. um and that includes like if you if you rebase a branch the old commits the one the original ones so you you've rebased so you've copied a bunch of these commits you basically duplicated them in a different place yeah the ref log still has them in the original yeah. place so you can get back to them there if you need to for some reason. Um, yeah. And that's true for every, really every operation that you do and get. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all a story, um, and Gemma's going to make sure that I'm not telling fibs, but I'm 98% certain this is true. And hopefully it will give you confidence that um, you can experiment, like she was saying. So in this story, a junior programmer um, has read on um, you know something somewhere that when you get that error that it says we can't push because there's conflicts in the, in the remote, that the solution is to do git push dash f origin master, which is the force push. And so one day they um, opened up a project they had been working on for ages and they were asked to change the copyright date. So they changed the copyright date and they tried to push. And of course they got an error because the entire rest of the company had been working on that master branch for six months. And instead of pulling down the last six months of work, they hit git push dash f origin master. Now, force pushing in that kind of context is not that bad of a problem because, of course, everybody else who's working on the project has the last six months in their locals. Except in this particular circumstance, one person had left and their machine had been scrubbed and then the other person had uh, did a huge dump deletion of everything. So basically, that person, that 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 the GitHub version of this thing was the only existing version that had the last six months of commits. And the junior programmer had just accidentally force pushed over it. Everyone thinks the old of the world is over, and then the team learned about the ref log, and they could actually go understand that those six months of commits were still in there and could be extracted. Am I yeah. am I right that this because I I, I I I twisted the story a tiny little bit, but like I'm pretty sure that that's exactly how it happened, and that is possible, even though you're sure you force pushed it's gone forever. It's all still in the ref log, right? Yeah, it's all still in the ref log. Um, yeah. <clears throat> with with GitHub in particular. GitHub is now very helpful with this. If you force push something, um, you it'll it'll say something like it's a pull request or something. It'll it'll tell you, hey, this used to be this commit, this branch used huh. to be this, commit, and then there was a force push, and now it's this commit. Um, and you can get back to that commit on GitHub. On GitHub, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But just know, <laughs> like even that circumstance, which just seems completely irreconcilable. Um, is totally fixable. Just, you know, it's not like, you know, the ref log is just something you just click a button on. I mean, you got to do a little bit of learning the ref log unless you have that GitHub thing that you're talking about. Um, but like, if you get in that situation, don't freak out. Just Google ref log and you feel like you can't handle it. Reach out to somebody who's a Git pro and have say, can I pay you to help me pull something out of the ref log and they'll say sure. So, yep. Yep. 
Okay. So if I were to want to learn more, um, are there any places now you already said there's tons of materials out there and I agree with you. And if the answer is, you know what, there's so much out there, there's not any one I prefer, that's fine. But are there any one tutorial or resource or anything that you've said consistently, this is absolutely the best place to look for learning about Git? So there's a couple um, that really come to mind. <clears throat> the the Git, the official Git website is git-scm.com, I think. I think so too. Or .org. Yeah, something like that. That is the, that's got everything. That has full reference for all of the commands. It's also got the pro Git book which is okay. available to read online. Nice. Um, so that is a that is a fantastic resource. That's a great place to learn about how Git works and how you can move around in it. Um, the other the other uh, resource that I really enjoy is the Learn Git branching site. Okay. Um, which has been around for a long time, and I think the URL has changed. So I'll I'll look it up and I'll give you whatever the current one is. Um, LearnGitBranching.js.org, and I'll get it in the show notes too. Yeah, there you go. That sounds right. Um, so that is sort of an interactive hmm. graphical representation of a Git repository that you can uh, change with Git commands. Very cool. Like there's a place where you can type in, you know, Git commit, Git commit, yeah. merge, branch, whatever. Um, and it'll, it'll show you what those commands are doing in sort of this graphical representation. That's awesome. That is super, super helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I like that one a lot. Those are the ones that really come to mind. And then obviously, Stack Overflow. Yep. <laughs> and the Google. Stack Overflow. Yeah. Uh, all increasingly over the last six months, I, I very seldom check analytics in my blogs. Every once in a while, I open up just to see if there's anything happening I don't know about. And all of a sudden, over the last six months, I wrote a post about Git Cherry Pick. Um, and if you're interested in learning about Cherry Pick, just go Google Git Cherry Pick Matt Stafford and you'll see it. But apparently I'm one of the top results for Git Cherry Pick. And all of a sudden, more and more people are coming to this one very simple thing that I wrote like four years ago. So there's, there's definitely a good amount of people out there Googling, yep. you know, how to how to merge a commit from a specific other branch or something like that and getting into this Git Cherry Pick one. So, yep, yep. All right. Finally, I'm going to get down to the personal fun moment. Who is Mara Jade Skywalker? Because I, I wanted to see if there's anything that's been happening in your life that I haven't followed because I've been totally off Twitter for ages. And I'm like, a I, I like Star Wars. I grew up with Star Wars, but I never got in the books or anything. And I saw you like just relieved beyond belief that Mara Jade Skywalker had not been introduced into the canon. And I just got to know, who is Mara Jade Skywalker? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So I know I didn't prepare you for this. No, no, no. The, I could also talk about Mara Jade for hours. <laughs> this is no problem. I've um, never heard her name until I saw that tweet. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't read the books in right. the, I think it was the, or might've been like 93, maybe midnight, early mid nineties. Okay. Um, Timothy Zahn wrote a trilogy of books in the star Wars universe. And this, this, these books kind of spawned, I mean, there were there were a couple books before this, but it was really this trilogy that took off, um, and the expanded universe of Star Wars took off in a huge way in the '90s, and, and everybody started writing books, and there was just tons of tons of people telling tons of stories in this universe. Um, the stories that he wrote introduced a character named Mar Jade. Uh -huh. <laughs> she was I don't I don't want to say too much because oh, I guess you kind of I mean Mar Jade Skywalker I guess that's that's a spoiler yeah. Um, I imagine she's related to the Skywalkers in some way. That's as far as I got right, right now. So she, she wasn't. She wasn't initially. So she uh, was. Okay, she married in. 
she was kind of like a force sensitive ninja kind of commander okay. person who worked directly under the emperor. She was his hand. She was the emperor's hand. Oh yeah. Um, and he would send her all over the galaxy to restore order, <clears throat> assassinate people, yeah. whatever. Really um, she, yeah, she was, she was real. She was pretty hardcore. Um, and when he was killed, he, they had this, they had this, uh, kind of a psychic force link mm-hmm. where he was able to just give her commands oh, okay. from anywhere and, and she could, she could see him and they could communicate no problem. Like she was, she was force sensitive, but she never, he never trained her as a Jedi or a Sith or whatever. Okay. So all of her abilities were kind of instinctual. More latent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, when he died, he just blasted her with you will kill luke skywalker oh my goodness yeah so that becomes her life's mission oh my goodness yeah and of course then luke skywalker runs into her and she can't kill him yet because she needs him for this thing that they're doing and the whole the whole timothy's on trilogy is kind of the story of how that sort of works itself out spoiler alert she does not well she kills Luke Skywalker, but she also doesn't kill Luke Skywalker. So you'll have to read okay. it. You have to read the books if you want to know what that means and why her name ends up being Skywalker in the end. If you want to read right. you got to know. So, no, okay. Yeah. So her name ends up being Skywalker at the end um, because, you know what, Timothy Zahn set up, he set them up uh-huh. beautifully to okay. be, you know, romantically involved and nobody touched it. None of the other authors for like a decade oh, can't huh. possibly have been a decade. It might have been. Nobody touched it. They brought in other women. Never, never Mara. So finally he was like, all right, screw it. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing this myself. And yeah. he wrote a couple more books. Oh. R. Jade and Luke. And they, you know, get married. So there was a Mara Jade who, has, who was a, a figure of significance. And then Mara Jade Skywalker is like what he did later with this Mara Jade character. Yeah, yeah, it's the same. It's the same character. Is, yeah. is his later is her his later work like considered any less or more canonical than his like original trilogy? Oh, well, oh, that what is canonical in Star Wars is a is a whole other. Didn't it like change whole, at some point? Yeah, none of this is canonical now. All the whole expanded universe is now yeah. it's the legends. None of it's none of it's canon anymore. Like so, they they uncanonicalize everything in the late two, twenty early twenty tens or something like that. Yeah, it was it was basically okay. when Disney. Uh, yeah, so Disney took it over and said all that stuff is yeah. no longer actually canon. We exactly. want to tell our own stories and not have to listen to yes. five hundred different authors saying, "Well, I did this and this." Okay, cool. I yep. mean, I don't know how the Star Wars fans feel about it, but I can imagine as a company telling stories like. So, have you ever read Ender's Game? Yeah. So yeah. Ender's Game is one of my favorite series. I mean, I know the author has problems, but <laughs> there, there's you two. Know, a good yarn sometimes. Yeah. So there's two forks of the Ender's Game story. Um, you get Ender's Game, the story, and then one fork follows his friends and this guy named Bean, like at or on Earth. Yeah. And then the other fork follows Ender as he goes out in like the universe and does totally very different, very like heady type stuff. And then he said, you know what? I never told the story of the moment between when Ender left the end of the book Ender's Game and when he went off to all these adventures. I'm going to go back and write this story that bridges the gap between those. And so he had already written 
20 books, including a whole bunch of them that are, I don't know how many, but they were about that time post Ender leaving post Ender's game in the bean series. And so now he had to tell a story that's in the Ender series that is, and the Ender series always kind of kept Ender as the hero, just like the Ender's game book was, but the bean series kind of, almost retconned a little bit, sort of saying Ender wasn't quite that much of a hero. And without Bean, he never would have been totally a hero. So which is fine because when you're reading the Bean series, you love Bean and it's very cool that he gets to be popular. And when you're reading the Ender series, he's somewhere else. So him being cool and interesting doesn't detract from Bean, except in this one book. And in this one book, they try to go back after the fact in the Ender branch of the story and tell a story about Ender immediately after this, that includes all the new continuity understanding that had been established by the Bean series where Ender was lame and Bean was great. It was the worst addition I've ever experienced in a series because they were so constrained to try and tell a story. And he said he literally had like dozens of people from the forums basically helping him write the story to make sure he didn't say things about Ender that were proved to be not true. And it was just, it was awful. Yeah. I was like, you should have just not written the book. So I can imagine if you're trying to tell a good story and you got people saying well, that doesn't line up with this and that doesn't, you're just like, dude, just let me, you know, I feel like that's probably why Star Trek like re- rebooted um, their series. And in the, in the most recent, um, in the last couple of movies, they're like, we're going to do a universe changing event so we can tell the story however we want. Cause we don't want to deal with you all the time. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I don't, I don't think Disney could have made any other choice, but as somebody who was a huge yeah. fan of the expanded universe, it was, it was gutting. It was mm-hmm. like there were all these characters that were as, I mean, real, right? To mm-hmm. me, in the Star Wars universe, as sure. the main, you know, Luke uh, and Han and Leia. And they Chewie. just kind of like, like got thrown yeah. to the wayside by that. Oof, that's yeah. tough. I hadn't thought and, about that. And what's killing me is they're they're starting to bring them back now. Like they're starting to bring okay. some of these characters that were very well loved back yeah. into canon using uh-huh. some of the like the animated stuff that i haven't really watched um but one of the guys one of the characters they brought back was grand admiral thrawn okay. who was also in these timothy zahn books oh he was, he was the primary antagonist okay um so and they're and they saved they used a lot they used a lot of the of the original thrawn material so okay there's there's a concern that they're going to bring Mara Jade back. I would prefer that they not because I think she was great uh-huh. and I don't want them to ruin her. But, oh, you know, so it's, it's not that you didn't like her. It's that you don't trust them to treat oh, her well. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, no, she was, uh, she was fantastic. Yeah. Cause you they were, actually, you were so relieved by the, yeah. in that tweet that, that started all this that I was like, Oh, you must've hated her. No, I, I loved her. I loved uh, her. She's a fantastic character. I loved her. And I, you know, I was reading this. I was, I was, you know, 15, 16, like, yeah. This, I was, this was candy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I feel yeah. like I have to go to at least read those three, the, the original trilogy now. So like my you know, family. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I mean, it's not like high art, you know, <laughs> don't, don't walk into sure. expecting great literature, well, but I, I still think they're pretty entertaining stories. Yeah. So. My, my family grew up watching the star Wars movies and the star Trek tv shows over and over and over and over again so we were like mid-level nerds like i know all the star trek characters i've seen all star trek shows i've seen all star trek movies and i've watched the star trek movies the first the the original the the original trilogy like a jillion times but i never got into the toys the books and all that kind of stuff and so that's why i'm I'm like a half nerd there so i'm i think i'm half my half nerd takes me nerdy enough to want to read those books even if they're not you know like high art so yeah Okay, I had been waiting to ask that question since I originally wrote these notes. So last oh, thing for today, 
Um, how can people follow you? Um, how can they pay you money or support you? You know, where, where are your preferred platforms? Or are there any things that you're doing or selling or want people to pay attention to or anything? Um, hmm, that's a good question. So I'm, I'm on Twitter. I, I, I'm also on Mastodon. And most of what you see on Twitter is actually stuff that I've posted on Mastodon and then like gets pushed to Twitter. Over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because <clears throat> um, Mastodon is neat. Mastodon is like the early days of the internet returned. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that you, but I mean, you can follow me wherever if you, if you feel, if you feel the need to do so. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any, like anything I'm selling or any, anything I'm building. Um, that's okay. I work a job. (laughs) I know. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm software engineer at wonder proxy. If you, if you do have a need to do any localization testing, um, if you're, if you operate in multiple markets, if you need to show, you know, different ads to different markets, or Mm. you need to show different languages to different countries, or, you know, you, you're worried about GDPR and, and where is that going to show up versus where is it not going to show up? Oh yeah. Um, Localization testing can help you with that. And that is what we do at wonder proxy. Um, so you can Link check in the show that notes. out. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll throw proxy.com in there. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably it. <laughs> okay. No, that's great. Is there anything else you wanted to cover in any way, shape or form, whether Skywalker or get or anything that we didn't get a chance to get to today? They killed off Mara Jade eventually in, in books. And I was really mad about it. That's it. That's all. So maybe if they bring her back in the series, they won't do that then. Maybe even. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. Nope, nope. Got it. I might put a spoiler noise right before you said that, just in the, in the final podcast. Yes, wait, possibly. wait, wait. Star Wars. Star Wars spoiler. Yes. Although, honestly, it was, I think it was probably, gosh, probably what year 10, is it? 10, 15 years ago. Probably yeah, like it's 2020. Ago yeah. This, so. I think at this point, the spoilers are, are spoiled. So, yeah. 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 All right. Gemma. Thank you so much. You are a pleasure to have on the podcast. I learned a ton. And I'm always trying to tell everybody, you're going to learn a ton, but it's always joy for me when I get to learn things. So thank you so much for teaching us. Thank you for so much time out of your day. and really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot for having me. This has really been a blast. So thank you. Awesome. All right. See you all next time. Bye, guys.